Welcome to Scott's Thoughts. These podcasts give me an opportunity to share a little bit outside my regular teaching on Sunday mornings and give you some insight into some of the issues of today and some of the current things that we're dealing with. We also offer an opportunity to interview some amazing people. So let's plunge right in. Thanks for being with us. We're just, uh, we're going to talk about listening. I was amazed when I was doing my research um, and going back on the, uh, you know, on this this theme, uh, how much actual research I had, I had forgotten all the articles and things like that I put together. So this podcast um, will have a, a number of things. Uh, first of all, I was thinking this week is um, I like maple, maple syrup. And uh, I don't know if you can remember from about eight years ago, the great maple syrup heist uh, happened in Quebec um, where workers at a, um, a certain um, warehouse were t- first of all stealing maple syrup and putting water in the barrels and then the second thing they were just taking the maple syrup and the, it was caught and it was believed that the um, perpetrators had gotten away with 18.7 million dollars in maple syrup at least and so you can only imagine uh, what this is worth uh, the making of maple syrup is really interesting I went to when I was a kid they used to have school trips to Morrisburg uh, near Orangeville and we would go up and see how maple syrup was made. And uh, we would go up in the spring when the, the the sap was flowing and apparently stops flowing when the leaves come out in the trees. But um, the ratio of, of sap that you get and the actual maple syrup that you get in the end um, after it is um, pared down is, is actually takes 40 gallons of sap to make one gallon of maple syrup. And that's quite a... You know that's quite a, a process um, it's mostly crystal clear with about a two percent sugar content um, and the, the typical sugaring season when they can take the sap is is four to six weeks it's the pattern of freezing and thawing temperatures below freezing at night and you know warmer during the day above freezing and it builds up pressure in the trees and it causes the sap to flow um, and so what do you do is you tap these trees and you put a bucket on and then you collect this sap. Um, and, uh, it's it, the trees that they take, the maple trees have to be about 40 years old in order to be large enough to tap. And so they, they have to be around, they have to be at least 10 to 12 inches in diameter. Um, and, and some maple trees are, are over 200 years old. So you imagine it's just incredible. Um, the process in order to do this. And you say, well, what does that have to do with listening? And sometimes I, the lost art of listening, um, if you are a good listener, you really stand out in our world because there's kind of a lost art to it. Um, being a good listener, it means having the ability to take an enormous volume of information, um, pare it down or boil it down to an essential um, point which is, you know, some, something uh, akin to, you know, like boiling maple syrup down and, 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 and getting it down to a certain point to where you really understand or really get what a person is saying. And this art, like I said, is lost on a lot of us. I don't know if you're like me, but most of the conversations I have are like playing catch. They say something, I say something, and often I'm thinking about what I'm going to say before they're finished talking. So I'm not really listening to them. So there's kind of this back and forth that, that goes along with what we consider a conversation or listening. Good listeners 
uh, don't do that. What they do is they will uh, take a person's sentence and they will um, look for ways to draw more information or me more meaning out of what they say. And so they will hear what you have to say and then they will, like the lowest form is, is just to say back what the person said. You know, the person said I was really hurt when something or other happened and you, you, you parrot back. So that, you know, you're really hurt when that happened. And, and, and people often, they'll draw people out. But intelligent listeners um, have the ability to ask questions that draw more information out of the speaker in order to get down, boil it down to a meaningful discourse. So you're looking at questions that would get people talking. Um, what you're trying to do is dig below the surface and find out what is very meaningful to the person. Now, this can be a positive or a negative. You know, you can talk about things that people um, look at and uh, and are deeply concerned about or that they're looking forward to. And if you can find out what people um, are really interested in. I remember there was, uh, when I was a college and career pastor, there was one little guy in our group and he was about as quiet as a mouse. Like he just couldn't hear boo out of him. Um, but he loved to work on the soundboard of the, when we were doing music and speaking and things like that. So he, he was one of those every week guys, uh, quite literally, even when he wasn't scheduled to be on sound, he would show up anyways, cause he just loved to do sound. And, uh, he was very quiet, very humble guy and, and things like that. Anyways, I remember took him out for coffee and, uh, you know, I was kind of like, how do I get this guy talking? But anyways, I started asking questions about what it meant for him to do sound and why he was interested in the field. Well, you know, I couldn't shut the guy up after that. He just kept going and going and going. And, and there's something intrinsically interesting to people to tell their story or to tell about, um, you know, what they see and how they perceive the world and, and what they think about things. Now, you may disagree with it. Um, the way they think, but it doesn't necessarily mean you can't understand it. And so, um, we, what we want to teach you today is how to boil down. I'm reading from James, um, and I'm going to read a translation of the Bible called the message message is a paraphrase, but it, uh, I just love the wording in this. And so I'm going to read it out to you from James one verses 19 to 27. Post all this at all intersections, dear friends. Lead with your ears, follow up with your tongue, and let anger strangle along, or straggle along in the rear. God's righteousness doesn't grow from human anger, so throw all spoiled virtue and cancerous evil in the garbage. In simple humility, let our gardener, God, landscape you with the word, making a salvation garden of your life. Don't fool yourself in thinking you're a good listener when you're anything but. Letting the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you hear. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in the mirror, walk away, and two minutes later have no idea wh who they are or what they look like. But whoever catches a glimpse of the revealed counsel of God, the free life, even out of the corner of their eye, sticks with it, is no distracted scatterbrain but a man or woman of action. That person will find delight and affirmation in the action. Anyone who sets up himself up as religious by taking a, talking a good game and is self-deceived. That This kind of religion is hot air and only hot air. Real religion, the kind that passes muster before God the Father, is this. Reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight and guard against corruption from the godless world. 
there's so much in here, you know, I could cover and, and talk about. But first of all, I, let me frame up the idea of listening before we kind of jump into the meat of, of what it means to listen. Um, they've discovered in uh, studies, and this is from the California Department of Mental Health, um, they've discovered that if you're disconnected to other people and there's no one in your life that you really feel understand you, understands you, you are two to three times more likely to die an early death. You're four times more likely to suffer from emotional burnout. You are five times more likely to suffer clinical depression and are ten times more likely to be hospitalized for an emotional or mental disorder. Human connections are good medicine. We need them. They're not just something that is nice to have in your life. You need them physically, emotionally, and spiritually. You need people who understand you, who relate to you, and who can connect to you. And this is a fear as old as, as people have been around when Adam and Eve sinned and God came looking for Adam. Adam said, I was afraid and I hid. People have been doing that ever since. We're afraid, so we hide. We hide our true selves. We don't let people know what we were really like. We don't let them see what's inside us. Why? Because if we let people know what we're really like and they don't like it, we're up a creek without a paddle. Tough luck. Why am I afraid of telling you who I am? Because if I tell you who I am and you don't like me, I'm in for it. I have no alternative. So we wear masks and we pretend. Larry Crabb in his book Connecting writes, When two people really connect, something is poured out of one and into the other that has the power to heal the soul of its deepest wounds and restore it to health. The one who receives experiences of joy of being healed sorry, the one who receives experiences of joy of being healed, and the one who gives knows even greater joy of being used to heal. Something good is in the heart of each of God's children that is more powerful than anything bad in the world. It's there waiting to be released and work its magic. But you have to be connected. Interesting. Um, you know, the, the psychological and the, and the beneficial ideas of being a listener. James talks about it in a couple of ways. One, he talks about listening as a way of life, you know, of having this per perception. And then he talks about how that relates to a relationship with God, the idea of listening to God, but acting on that. And and when you put those kind of two matters in, because being an active or good listener means in many ways that we take the information that people entrust to us and we affirm it somehow. A number of years ago, there was a a pastor, this was a long time ago, and he sat down with me and told me his story. And uh, he he was someone that from time to time um, I used to recommend to people, you know, for different ministries. And he told me about his, when he was a pastor in Toronto, um, and his marriage was on the right. He had a very troubled marriage. Um, he talked about how he used to slip away um, and he would go into the massage parlors in Toronto, which were, were kind of massage slash brothels, really, and, and do these things. And uh, how nobody ever knew that. He never told anybody his story. And he poured this out to me. I mean, like, and I just, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, just the guilt he carried and things like that. Because he eventually left ministry and nobody knew why. Anyway, so he poured out his soul to me and things like that. And I, I said, you know, I said, thank you for sharing that with me. He said, I need to need to hear you say I'm okay. I, I need I need to, to hear that you heard me. And I said, I do hear you. And I affirm you. 
and I want you to know that God loves you and he forgives you. And, and you know, this behavior that was in his kind of rear view mirror that had gone in his past haunted him until he could pour it out. And the most important thing that he wanted was my affirmation. Why, why is the communication so difficult? You know, um, like there's uh, a quote by Roger McCloskey says, I know that you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize what you heard is not what I meant. Um, and it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of depth into that. Um, Peter Drucker writes, the most important thing in communication is to hear what isn't being said. Um, you know, these, these quotes go on and on and on. Um, but what, what makes communication difficult? Well, there's six possible messages that we convey when we're communicating. What you mean to say, what you actually say, what the other person hears, what the other person thinks they hear, what the other person says about what you said, and what you think the other person said about what you said. So, you know, think about that. We, we are so, fun, uh, you know, muddled up that we sometimes forget that, that uh, you know, you might say something, you might think people interpret a certain way. I'll never forget, I was, uh, when I was on staff at Calvary Church, this had to be, this go back 25 years, and uh, there was a, a friend of mine who did a sermon there, and his sermon was about decluttering, getting rid of stuff. And he talked about how materialistic our world was and how we accumulate all these things we can't take with us and, and how to purge it, you know, is the best way to do. Anyways, it was interesting, I was walking through the lobby a little, bit, a little bit later in the um, after the service, I thought his message was good. I thought it was crystal clear. You know, I, I I didn't know how anybody could get anything different out of it. But I walked by and there were two um, ladies speaking, and one of them was telling the other, "I she's, I love that sermon. It's you know him him telling us we need to take our stuff and get rid of our stuff so we can get new stuff to replace it." And I thought that is so far from the actual meaning of that message but here they were five minutes after the message talking to each other and and actually reinforcing their materialism which was what the sermon was meant to discourage in the first place like it was absolutely mind-boggling but that's how sometimes a human brain works so you've got to you got to look at a human being and you've got to know you know think think about what it means to you when someone has really listened to you. You know, when you've had an encounter with someone who's really, you know, drunk you in and patiently asked and probed and asked good questions. You know, what does that mean to you? How do you know that person is listening to you? How do you feel when you're saying something and it's not being listened to? You know, when, when do you find it difficult to listen to people? So there's a lot to this stuff. But anyways, let me walk through. First, first of all, I, we need to understand that communication, a lot of it is nonverbal. Um, one of the things about social media, which I, I've seen repeatedly, is you'll get somebody in person, they'll talk to you a certain way. But when they're texting you or emailing you or, you know, Facebooking you, their tone changes. And, and often it changes in a way that is very dishonoring. And, you know, I thought, why is that? Well, it's something when you're not there in front of the person, it's really easy to speak what you want to say 
because you, you're not getting any reaction from the person. I learned very early in ministry to never convey feelings by email, to never convey feelings by text or messenger. Why? Well, first of all, when you put your feelings out there in the ether, the chances that somebody is going to take that and take it the wrong way instantly go up when you're trying to convey emotions, particularly negative emotions. I mean, I'm all for sending an encouraging text or, you know, appreciating someone or, or saying things like that. But to actually, when a person's in front of you, there's a reason why there's certain things that check your heart and soul. And I mean, we all have these dear people in our lives who have no filter and, you know, tend to, you know, just spew whatever is going on in their, in their minds and, 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 and have no filter. We all know people like that. But what I'm talking about are, are how most of us are at least sensitive to what the person in front of them is doing. Um, and, and so we talk a lot about body language. When I'm teaching young couples when they're getting married, um, I have to convey things to them um, that are different levels of, of understanding. The person who really understands the nonverbals, you know, they can take what you say which most um, most counselors will tell you only about 7% of what your impression is, is what the person says. 38% is actually from the tone of their voice. And then 55% is from their body language. So when we're talking to somebody, there's all kinds of things going on. When our church, uh, when we met in the Wittung Theater um, at Sir Sanford Fleming, Fleming College, it's like... Um, it's like almost like one of those Greek amphitheaters where, you know, it's just so steep, um, the seating, that you can see pretty well everybody from the waist up. And I used to tell speakers, uh, you know, you're going to get thrown a little bit. This is very different from speaking from other churches because of the interaction that is happening through people's nonverbals. In most churches, you're one level and everybody's at the same level. So what you're seeing are people's heads. And, and heads, you know, they give out nonverbals, but not nearly as much as a full body does. And so when you're seeing everybody from the waist up, you know, if you've got them or not got them, it just becomes painfully obvious. And I've seen speakers, you know, they just start, you know, something's off and they, they start to question themselves and they start to struggle and, 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 you know, they start to, you know, they start to have troubles, you know, maintaining attention and, 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 and they become insecure. Why? Because you're seeing so many nonverbals that it's almost screaming back at you. And and when you learn nonverbals or le learn to appreciate them, your understanding of another person will go way up. So when I tell married couples, I you know I I often say there's there's certain people that are really good at nonverbals, and they will convey information to their spouse using nonverbals. You know how they sit, their tone, all those kind of things. But not everybody picks it up. In fact, there are some people who are nonverbal tone deaf. They really are. And and with people like that, you have to say exactly what you mean. Um, you can't expect them. And, and, and a person who is married to someone that uses nonverbals communicate will often say, I'm not a mind reader. And so people that don't pick up nonverbals, they're not mind readers. They don't. They don't understand what you're trying to convey unless you actually say it. They're not being willfully stupid. Other people are um, 
focus in on one aspect of it you know so it's all about tone or understanding and 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 if you are married to someone that uses nonverbals a lot you also you have to learn their language in a way and it takes time to learn how to do this this is an art a lifetime art um, for people just to recognize okay their tones a little different or their body you know um, posture is is saying something different to me uh, and I never forget you know this there's one married couple I I know and uh, and when that spouse is angry they slam cupboards you know they go in the kitchen and the crashing dishes and slamming cupboards and that's where their way of saying I'm not good right now you know um, and and the person who's married to them said when that first happened you know way back when I just thought wow they're being awful loud never you know really connected that to the person's sense of well-being you know and then oh, there's this defensiveness we often have in listening you know it's it's uh, you know one of the worst is premature conclusions sometimes my wife is speaking and and she'll say something and I'll cut her off and finish the sentence or the thought and she'll say um, well how about you let me say it before you decide what I'm gonna say you know I let you you know a nice try but that wasn't what I was getting at you know and and sometimes we simplify people by saying you know I just know what she or he is gonna say you know or I've been through this you know same old you know so we discount somebody when they're talking and and when married couples do this or friends do this you ever notice somebody gets in a conflict and they're apart for a little bit and then they come back to the conflict and there's like all this baggage you know you're feeling this or you're doing that or you're you know did this to me and all those kind of things and sometimes stuff that's not even accurate but that's when we jump to conclusions and uh, you know when you're sitting down with someone particularly someone you know well it's easy to jump to those conclusions when in reality you can get more out of there especially if the conclusions you're jumping to um, they always kind of end in the same way and it's not a satisfactory way you know and I understand people can be evil and cruel and rude and all those kind of things and you know that that stuff has to be confronted but it doesn't mean you can't be a good listener um, you also need to to understand um, that some people are insecure and so what they convey back to you when you're trying to talk to them or listen to them is they send these these um, these kind of messages out that they're not interested or that they feel what you're saying is unimportant I don't know if you've got a boss who you go in and talk to and they don't look at you and they're looking at their screens and you know hmm, yeah they're giving you nonverbals and all that kind of stuff it, it can make you feel pretty small or worse you get those kind of aggressive people um, I was talking just a moment ago about passive aggressive but are actually aggressive you know where they stare you down and they intimidate you and they belittle you and all those kind of things and and that can make us defensive you know um, sometimes um, there's gunpowder words that people say now I, I happen to think political correctness is a horrible thing I, I think I happen to think that we you know when we we try to define offensive speech by other people we're on a real slippery slope because you, you can't convey speech just based on what the other person is feeling and I recognize that there are explosive horrible things that people say um, 
And, and, you know, I, I think society is at best when it's just confronted in the moment or in the conversations, not when it's mandated uh, by government or by hordes of, you know, the mob on uh, social media and things like that. I, th I think, I think that the social confrontation uh, of something is much more important, but there's gunpowder words, you know. Um, men and women have gunpowder words that they say to each other, you know, what, what, you know, what else do you expect a guy to do? Or, you know, you're just like a woman to say that, or, you know, you're getting more like your mother. I mean, these kind of things can be deeply offensive or always or never language. You know, you always do this, or you're always late for appointments, or you never ask me what I think, you know, where we paint the whole world in this one broad stroke, even if it's generally true. Um, it, what it tends to do is just make people defensive. Sometimes our attitudes are our biases. Um, we've talked formerly about you know the idea of racism or bigotry or stereotyping. We all do it, uh, and it's not that I'm saying everybody's a racist. I, I actually don't believe agree to the principle of systematic racism. I don't think it's true. Um, it's kind of hard to say somebody hates somebody, but does it? They don't even know it. Yeah, we all have, you know, ignorance that we pick up and things like that, but it doesn't make the person the most evil thing possible. Um, but attitudes are biases, you know. I find as I get older, you know, you kind of get that get off my lawn attitude when people present certain things. You know, someone will come along and you've just seen it so many times and you're just, you know, you're just up to your neck in it. You know, um, a pastor can get that way about gossip. You know, once you've been gossiped about, you know, four or five times, you can get really defensive. And so you, you develop this shell and this, you know, attitude where you stop listening to people because you just assume everybody intends the worst. And then there's our own inner struggles that keeps us from listening. Sometimes the fear of being hurt. You know, what if I put myself out there and, you know, I'm rejected and, uh, a lot of people in the world um, who've been through hurtful relationships or bad parenting or things like that um, have suffered hurts. Uh, some people have disconnected their emotional extension cord, you know, and there's no power coming through that. You know, they, they suspect emotions or they don't like the emotions and maybe somebody's used emotions to manipulate them or they feel like their friend or their partner is doing that. And um, that, that, you know, that often hurts our ability to communicate. Embarrassment, you know, someone, you know, you tell somebody something and then they go blab it and it embarrasses you. You know, that leaves a scar. And a lot of people go, okay, I'm not going to, to talk again. And when in reality, maybe the best juncture in that point is to say, okay, I'm not going to entrust that person with sensitive information anymore until they kind of re-earn that and you know and when chance comes you say look when you did that when you said that that really hurt me and you know it makes me not want to talk to you I, I i remember years ago there was a staff member and they had left um years previously or a year previously but they were still out there just talking to everybody and i finally you know got in touch with them and said look you know i know there was good and bad and all those kind of things. But I just want to let you know that there's, you know, this stuff is getting back to me. It's not, this is not in a vacuum. You're not, you know, saying this and it's, it's not getting back. And to, to be honest with you, I don't appreciate it. And that anyways, they sent me back this horrible 
you know, this response, which I expect, you know, like I said, you can't convey emotion by email. But I, I replied and I said, look, if they gossip with you, they will gossip about you. You are not the one individual in their life that they never say anything bad about. So picture yourself, you know, when you're gossiping with one of these people or you're one of those people yourself and you're gossiping. You know, you don't think people get away from you and say some incredibly hurtful things. You know, and, and uh, a lot of us hide because of that. Gossip is a horrible thing. I, I happen to think it's one of the worst things you can do about somebody to misrepresent them behind their back. They're not there to defend themselves. And I can tell you as a pastor, you know, my personal experiences with gossip and ministry and with people, and I've got off pretty light, but have been nothing short of horrible. So what do, what do, what do I need to do to be a better listener? Well, a couple of things. Um, I need to understand that good listening means that when someone is talking to you, you, you need to hold off on what you're going to say. Now, there's sometimes these kind of banter conversations that go back and forth, and they're a lot of fun and those kind of things. But I'm, I'm talking about when you're sitting down with someone and you really want to connect. Okay? Um, and you'd be surprised how often that can happen if you're actually looking for it. So, so you need to know, you know, allow that person to finish what they're saying and then draw them out. You know, I was talking about the maple syrup, how we boil it down to its essential thing. Really good listeners draw a person out so that you can um, examine the intentions and motives and, you know, all those aspects of what the person actually is saying to you. Um, we do this through good questions, clarifying questions. We do this by being able to phase out distractions um, we do this by trying to explain back what you think the person is saying. You know, that's kind of an active, active listener. And you do it by, by asking questions that you can't get a yes or no answer. You know, like a, a question like that would say, you know, what's one thing that happened to you as a kid or you did as a kid that you feel mo most guilty about now? And no stranger is going to tell you that, but some people actually will open up to that. Or what is the thing you're looking forward to doing in the next, you know, couple of months? You know, someone will talk about their vacation and you can go, okay, why, why there? Why, why is that so important to you? You know, and, 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 you know, what experiences you had to make that positive, you know, asking those kind of questions, uh, it's not a yes or no answer. People have to, you know, share with them, you a little bit about it. And then you, you need to understand that as you're listening, um, accepting what is being said without judgment about what is said or how it's being said is an effective tool of a good listener. So by the what I mean is, is a person is talking and you may be disagreeing or you may be going, oh, wow, you know, um, but to draw that out and to, you know, allow them to say it and get it off their chest so many arguments with our friends and family are about how something is said, right? You know, well, you, you, what you're asking was right, but you know, the way you said it to me was so hurtful and so awful, you know, that the message didn't get through. I understand that's a, a, true in some situations, particularly if you're talking about a, a fairly insensitive person, but a good listener manages to navigate those waters, you know, without getting the walls up to try to listen to what the person is really saying. You know, it's a, it's a special, an incredible breakthrough day when a married couple go 
that's just the way they say it it's they don't mean anything by it or you know they they aren't trying to be out for you know this sometimes they just you know it gets out there and you know what we got to love them anyways right or you know some people go okay um you know explain to the person when you say this this way you know it makes me feel this way so so is there a way you can say that because i think where you're going might be a, a you know a desire for an honorable outcome here um is there a way that you can you know say that maybe it bounces through and don't play games with it you know don't don't get people right down to their apostrophes and all those kind of things you know this is a, a, a something that should be pulled off your utility belt very rarely because some people are so nitpicky that you know what they basically do is make it impossible for the person to actually talk to them and to express to them because they you know they're what they're really doing is saying i don't want to hear negative stuff from you i don't want to hear negative stuff about me i don't want you know i'm i'm, I'm this in my shell nobody can criticize me you know kind of thing when in reality you know uh, it's actually good that we listen to people and then and be able to repeat back what they've said you know I, I remember when i worked in finance at the college uh, we went through one year where there was um, there's a major recession going on and people are having a hard time paying their tuition and the college foolishly uh, made all the tuition payments a case-by-case -case basis so basically they had deals with people they got post-dated checks and you know as you can imagine um, on tuition day it was all smiles and giggles you know six months later when those bills had to be paid there was an enormous amount of conflict, particularly when you had someone that hadn't paid their tuition and their graduation receipt or graduation certificate was being held. And like people were in and yelling and all those kind of things. It was horrible. And I'm glad that they, um, you know, backed off that that way of doing things, because I don't think it was fair for people. You know, it was a bait and switch in my mind. But anyways, I learned very quickly that people get really emotionally charged about specific issues in their lives family uh, religion politics and especially money and so we first of all we had this office and had this like glass um, barrier with this little hole of people to talk to and it was just it was so inappropriate I mean if you just want to scream to people like you know just give me the Cole's notes and don't talk to me and I can't understand what you're saying and we're you know we're just having a hard time so I actually used to come out of the office when someone was really upset I came out of the office and I went and I talked to them now I didn't go face to face I kind of angled myself a little bit so that I wanted them to feel at least visually that the the problem was something we were going to figure out and so I didn't you know I'm a big guy and you know I didn't want to intimidate so I would I would allow the person to talk and say okay what's what's going on here and a lot of times you know I couldn't agree with the course of action they wanted but sometimes people just needed to get it out and I remember you know you'd have them talk and you have them all this kind of stuff and I would just wait and there comes a point in every conversation where the person goes okay I've got it out there and what I used to do after that is I would ask more clarifying questions so I would come back to it and say okay what I, what I think you're saying happened is this and this and this and you know get I'd get a little more information you know out of them and clarify things and make sure everything's crystal clear 
And it's rich, interesting. First of all, I learned that when you let people talk, sometimes they just come to the right conclusions. They just need to process out loud. So they would be talking about this and talking about that, and they go, but I know you can only do this. So, you know, this is kind of what I'm doing, and, you know, I just needed someone to listen to me. Uh, the other thing I learned is that when you t tackle a problem with somebody, you've turned an enemy into a friend. And uh, I used to get a lot of trust. People used to give me a lot of rope um, and and give me a lot of respect when I would would confront behavior or I would say, well, we can't do that. You know, just because they knew I was I was for them. And, uh, you know, the, the body language, the clarity, the coming around and talking to them, listening, letting people get it out, um, really saved a lot of uh, headaches. I remember, you know, anytime I just jumped back or got defensive or anything like that, this is never a good outcome. That's what people long for. Um, someone once, uh, there's an old proverb says, before you trust a man, eat a peck of salt with them. And we think a peck is like a little pinch of salt. It, it actually, a peck is 36 liters, <laughs> you know, uh, before you trust a person, you know, go deep with them, you know, find out about who they are. A number of years ago, it was really funny. There was an April Fool's Day prank played by a, 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 a section of the government, you know, it was kind of a funny thing. Um, and they, they, um, they wanted to present a new law to people and the, the, it was presented by a Thomas Fullery, uh, federal ministry of urban harmony. Um, and the law was going to be make it mandatory for Canadians and major urban centers to wear name tags. That was a good, you know, April Fool's joke and people laughed and all that kind of stuff. But what was really interesting is 32% of people contacted the ministry and said they would support a law like that. 1.2 million Canadians expressed support for the idea. Think about that. You know, what would it be like in a world where we all had name tags, you know, and you were able to say somebody's name? C.S. Lewis once wrote, Friendship arises out of the mere companionship, but when two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest, or even taste, which others do not share and, and uh, uh, with each other, till that moment each believed to be in their own unique treasure or burden, the typical, typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Larry Crabb writes, beneath what our culture calls psychological disorder is a soul crying out for what only connection can provide. Damaged psyches aren't the problem. The problem beneath our struggles is a disconnected soul. And, uh, you know, there's something, there's something to be said with that. You know, you talk a lot. Even if you don't think you talk a lot. Um, you know, the average person says about 25,000 words a day. Um, you're going to spend, and, and that's made up of 30 conversations, you're going to spend about a fifth of your life talking. In one year, your conversations with other people could fill 66 books of 800 pages each. You know, and and they're, 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 you're going to say a lot. And I think it's why in the Bible, James outlines that, that if you're in control, what you say, you can control just about anything. It's the hardest thing to do. Paul wrote in Ephesians four twenty nine: do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Wow. 
Ralph Waldo Emerson wrote, Lead with aces, close with kings. It's a luxury to be understood. So let's think about some of the non-visuals we may see with people. I'm, I'm, you know, like I said, I'm bringing this way down to nitty gritty, but this is good stuff. Um, when you're talking to someone and their arms are on their hips, what do they say? Well, they're probably saying it's bumpy water ahead. Um, when they fold their arms across their chest, it's a defensive mechanism. And they're probably saying, slow down. Um, I remember there was one guy I worked with and, and he kind of had this, you could always tell when he was pulling one on you. And I don't mean like a joke, like he was feeling like he, you know, got you. It was really slimy. And, and, you know, I just remember they, you know, ask a question you get a response and you would say something and, 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 uh, you know, it was like what they wanted to hear, but they felt like they had, you know, tricked you into saying it and they get this creepy look on their face. And the funniest thing is, I don't think they realized they did it. And I think they didn't realize that most people picked up on it. Um, sometimes people lean back and they furrow their eyebrows, you know, and that, that can mean stop. When one of my sons was a little guy, like he was, you know, two or something like that. We we're in the grocery store. My wife was in the grocery store with them. And there was an individual, you know, was working through some issues and they were kind of verbal about it and stuff like that. And I'll never forget the little guy. My wife said he crossed his arms and he furled his brows and he looked at them. It was just like pretty funny. Um, what kind of things allow people to open up to you? Well, a smile. You know, if you're smiling at someone, they're, they're going to feel more like they can trust you. Open your arms, lean forward, eye contact, nod, affirm non-verbals like or i mean verbals but you know like sound mm, oh yeah mm, okay you know those kind of things can really draw people out your body language plus your tone plus your words really leads to total communication joyce carol oates writes we inhabit ourselves without valuing ourselves unable to see that here and now this very moment is sacred but once it's gone its value is incontestable we are given an opportunity to draw out the souls of people and hear what they have to say. So let's just just a couple takeouts and, and, and then I'll, I'm going to go have to pare this down and make it into some sort of legible sermon for Sunday. Um, but the first thing is to recognize the number one thing that keeps me from listening is pride. It's pride and a fascination with ourselves or a desire to be valued ourselves by using shortcuts. Sometimes the key to learning or to be receiving value for me is to first give it to another person. How do I do that? By listening. When we abandon our own agendas and we listen first and we draw people out, a lot of times they reciprocate that back to you. Not always. I'll never forget one, one time I worked to the college members talking about the fishbowl and there was a lady that went to our church and, and, you know, she just had a lot going on and, and a lot of struggles. And I came around and said hi to her and talked to her and listened to her and stuff like that. And, uh, she, she had to go on her way. So I said, okay, I'll talk to you soon. And I turned around to walk away and she said, thank you for talking to me. I thought, what kind of statement is that? And, and in reality, she had so few people that actually took the time to talk to her that to just have someone listen 
was invaluable to her. The second thing is, is listening is somehow connected to action, to a reaction. My last message was talking about the time Dave Lokes, um, you know, came back with these uh, Navy books from the Second World War for me when he was on holidays and how much I love those books and, you know, how it really is gifts that I get you, right? Um, when you, you know, draw somebody out, it's important to remember what they said. You know, don't file away right, you know, right away. Make, make, make a note of it. When, when someone shares their soul to you, you know, patiently, you know, allow that to work and, and uh, you know, affirm them. Know their names. Know all those kind of things. We skip across the surface of relationship with so many people, and we don't actually take the information that they give us, often freely, um, that there's gold in those things. First of all, things you can learn from, things that you can connect with that person again, you know. The gift is in in not only listening, but but to bring about a reaction. You know, James talks about how, you know, when we let the word of God, when God is talking to us, we learn to listen by learning to listen to God first. And uh, talks about when you take that word and you act on it, when God speaks and you act on it, you know, walk through the Sermon on the Mount. You know, there's so, you can spend your lifetime doing those things. Um, so much wisdom in it but when you act on it he talks about this precious gift you know if you catch a glimpse of a re revealed counsel of god the writer says um, there's this delayed gratification this delight and affirmation that we ourselves receive because Larry Crabb's right when we draw people out and they expose their souls to us and we affirm them and love them and still accept them there's you 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 touch their souls and yours in turn gets touched because you know that something precious and and, and sacred has happened um so so look for that in your listening look for ways you know maybe the person talks about a time they were hurt or whatever and you know, going home and sitting down and, and just writing a note to them saying, thank you for entrusting me, you know, trusting me with this and I'm going to pray for you and I'm going to do this. And, you know, is it okay if I check in with you again? When when I, um, as a pastor, when someone passes away, a lot of times I will, you know, check in on them over the next, you know, weeks and months. You know, just to let them know they're not forgotten, to affirm them. Act on what you listen to. Um and and that's really boils down to it if i want to be a good listener i learn to draw it out i use those tools and then that information is presented i find a way to bless and encourage one of the writer of ephesians i quoted a while ago do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is useful for building others up and uh, that's a good goal so my prayer is that you like myself Learn to listen and, and, and learn what it means to, to allow another person to bear their soul. And that, uh, that would make you a good listener. I've shared a lot of information here. Hopefully you can pare it down and, and uh, find a couple of useful tidbits in there. Thank you. I'll talk to you next week.
We hope this podcast has been encouraging to you. As we continue to put more up, we encourage you to listen to them and uh, refer a friend. And uh, please shoot any questions you have off to me, scott at courtthechurch.com. Thanks for being with us, and we really appreciate it. God bless. Thank you.